well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, where we are once again, unfortunately, talking about some uh, infringements on the program. Scott Bach, who is the head of the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, got to be with us here in just a moment. Because uh, gun control legislation is on the move in New Jersey after uh, several months of behind-the-scenes action, the lawmakers unveiled their response to the Supreme Court's decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin a few days ago. And uh, yesterday, this gun control legislation um, got approved in committee very swiftly uh, after it was uh, formally introduced. 3-2 party line vote. And uh, Scott Bach is going to tell us all about the uh, hearing as well as the disturbing details of New Jersey's response to the uh, Supreme Court decision striking down New York's May issue concealed carry laws. Take a look and a listen. Scott, thanks so much for coming on the program today. It's good talking to you, sir. Cam, it's great to be back. All right. So uh, what is going on here in New Jersey? I know that uh, this legislation that they've been working on apparently for a couple of months, all of a sudden it is now moving, uh, passed out of committee yesterday on a, a party line vote. And we'll talk to some of the specifics uh, in just a second. But h- how fast are they moving on this uh, the, the, this gun control bill, Scott? Well, they're, you know, they aim to get it in uh, right around election time, actually. Uh, I'm not sure what they're thinking, um, but uh, listen, they, they are, they've waited in the background, we think, because the Governor Murphy of New Jersey probably wanted to give a wide berth to New York and let them uh, run point on it. But as soon as the TRO in New York was, uh, was instituted, you know, putting everything on hold, that's when this thing suddenly bubbled to the surface. And Interestingly, it's not being moved by the governor openly. Okay, it's, the weight is being carried uh, by members of the legislature, and we hear some of them are not very happy that they're doing that. But they've been told, if you want to keep all your committee assignments and positions, you better. This is what you better do. So, um, you know, there's a whole charade going on. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a steamroller. It's coming. We have a few tricks up our sleeve and are going to, you know, jam them up wherever we can. But this is going to wind up in the courts and we are ready. I can tell you my organization has been ready before this happened. I mean, we knew this was coming eventually. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, listen, this is, as I've said repeatedly the last few days, this is a big middle finger to the U.S. Supreme Court from New Jersey lawmakers. And that, that's what it is. The bill... What it does, Cam, is it tries to do an end run around carry. Now that the state of New Jersey is forced to issue carry permits, Mm -hmm. they're trying to change what it means to carry. And just just bottom line, this is a listen. The the bill is thirty three pages long. Okay, but its net effect is to defeat carry a different way. Okay, yeah, it's by you know they want to like essentially name everything a gun free zone. And, um, you know, leave very little uh, and you can't carry in a gun free zone and you can't carry uh, anywhere uh, where a gun free zone exists. And, you know, this interestingly, the sponsor was grilled by Republican members of the committee yesterday. And um, one of the questions he was asked like three or four times was, well, you know, we, we see where you can't carry from the text of this bill, but where can you carry? He refused to answer 
every time, Cam. Really? Every time. Yes, he absolutely. It's, it's, and it's on the audio, the official state of New Jersey audio. Anybody who wants to, um, you know, hear the recording of the hearing can do that. We're probably going to have it transcribed. Oh, excellent. But, well, yeah, because let's let's talk for a second about where you can't carry under this bill. Um, and and, and it, just like New York, all private property by default is a a no gun zone, right? Yeah, uh, you can't all, carry in a park. <laughs> okay, all public transportation is a oh, yes. gun free zone. But what about what about your private car? Scott, <laughs> gun free zone, gun free zone. <laughs> okay. And by the way, when you drive to your parking lot where you ostensibly can carry, guess what? Parking lots. Are uh, are gun free zones too? Parking lots. Horseback? Can you carry on horseback? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that one. <laughs> I mean, maybe but, it depends where the horse is. <laughs> was, is right, and I and I and I and I make that joke, but this is really serious because, as you say, you know, look, most of us don't walk around uh, from point A to point Z throughout the course of our day, right? We will take a bus, we'll take a subway, we'll take a taxi, we'll take our our own private car. But under these gun-free zones in New Jersey, as, as you say, where can you carry unless you are walking down perhaps a street somewhere? It sounds like that's basically the only place that uh, New Jersey is going to, I don't even say recognize, going to uh, uh, give you permission to exercise your right to bear arms in self-defense. Yeah, I'm not even going to give them that much credit because who, who knows, maybe the street is deemed um, public property. Or right. pri- it may be deemed partly private property, so it's banned unless there's consent depending on who owns it. And if it's public property, it's banned. <laughs> so, so let's not, let's not give them more credit than they're due. It's, um, it's an end run. Okay. And it's a defiant fist shaking. Uh, basically they're daring the Supreme court. They're basically saying, we're going to do what we want. We don't respect the rule of law. You know, you know what the Supreme court says, they're paying lip service to Bruin. Okay. Their bill contains wholesale, you know, long provisions in it that, that, uh, appear to pay deference to Bruin. And, you know, they've studied this carefully and they want to meet the requirements of Bruin and it's, it's important. We have to change everything. And then they go on to basically create a giant patchwork of gun free zones, of carry free zones. And I mean, it really is the net effect. It also does other stuff, Cam, other mm. than, you know, the zones, which we can talk as much as you want about. But, you know, you have to have insurance in order to exercise your rights under the bill. So, and, and not only that, but you have to have proof of insurance with you. It's a crime if you're carrying without that proof of insurance. Now, who knows if anybody is going to underwrite risk in New Jersey like that? Right. Right. And and frankly, uh, you know, that's a it's going to be difficult for folks to find access uh, to those insurance policies. Um, B, folks who live in high crime neighborhoods are going to be subjected to higher policies, uh, which is going to, I think, have a disproportionate impact on lower income New Jersey residents, those on fixed incomes. And, and frankly, those who probably need uh, to access their Second Amendment right of self-defense more so than somebody who lives in a gated community. But regardless of all of that, it seems to me, Scott, that that that's a pretty unconstitutional provision. I mean, no other right that we possess are, are we required to carry insurance policy. We don't we don't we don't have to walk around with, you know, libel insurance before we exercise our First Amendment rights. 
At least I don't think that's the case in New Jersey, is it? <laughs> Not yet, but, you know, don't give him any ideas, Cam. Don't say it too loud. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and again, I mean, all of this taken together, Scott, it, it's so crystal clear that, as you say, not only is this a middle finger to the Supreme Court, I would add it's also a middle finger to responsible gun owners in New Jersey. Well, you hit the nail on the head because, listen, here's what becomes apparent when you study the bill, okay? And there's all this rhetoric in the hearing, uh, you know, about how, you know, this is about keeping New Jersey safe and keeping our citizens safe. And what that really means when it comes down to it is they view armed, trained, responsible, law-abiding citizens as the threat. Mm -hmm. Gun owners who are qualified carrying is the threat they're trying to protect against. They don't, they're not trying to protect against murderers, rapists, and, and robbers. They're not trying to enhance your right to defend yourself. They're trying to limit, they, I may, I believe this camp, they honestly view honest citizens carrying guns who are trained and qualified and certified as the threat. That is yeah. the threat to public safety they're trying to protect against. And I said that, I said that in the committee hearing, you know, they just stared blankly at me and, you know, let me do my thing. But, uh, you know, it's, by the way, the bill also would prohibit carry in public housing. So if you happen to live in, you know, in public housing, you can't even carry in your own home. <laughs> which, which, by the way, we just had a, now this was a, a state court in Tennessee strike down uh, a, a similar ban on public housing. We've also seen federal judges in, I believe, Delaware uh, and uh, Missouri do the same in recent years. But again, it's not that the, 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 the previous court cases don't matter. They don't care what the courts have said. They care, uh, again, about making you know, this culture war issue, trying to score political points ahead of the election. And I think you're spot on with the mentality behind this push. I, I'm looking at a this is a story from the New Jersey Monitor. And one of the uh, folks who testified in favor of this bill yesterday is a woman named Diane Dresdale, uh, who said, quote, any law that's passed is going to be challenged. We have to accept that. But that doesn't mean this representative body should not pursue legislation that's going to make our state safer, quote unquote. Uh, then she said, quote, we have many, many, many more people wanting to get guns. And that alone should indicate that we need this legislation. So because people want access to their right to carry and because after the Supreme Court decision was handed down, you've had a flood of New Jersey residents say, oh, good, I finally can access my rights. That's why the gun control groups, that's why the gun control activists, that's why uh, anti-gun politicians are freaking out now and doing everything they can to put up barriers between those New Jersey residents and their fundamental rights. Well, I mean, I think that's, I think that's dead on. And I don't know what their long game is because, you know, they're going to lose in court. I mean, I can say that confidently in the wake of Bruin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now it may not be the lower federal courts because you know, whatever, but, but sooner or later we're going to have this thing thrown out or giant chunks of it are, are, you know, going to go bye-bye. And, you know, maybe their, maybe their strategy is, well, we'll just keep doing stuff and you just keep them tied up in court. But, uh, you know, uh, ANJRPC council, we had our annual meeting over last weekend. And, you know, one of the things he said is that, you know, this isn't the first time there's been massive resistance to Supreme court rulings by entire states. Yep. You know, he, he made reference to certain historical doctrines and, 
historical cases of the Supreme Court that states opposed, particularly, you know, concerning segregation. You know, there, there were states that opposed them for over a decade and, and thwarted them before things settled down. So, you know, you know, you work, I mean, listen, I've been working for 20 years to get right to carry in Jersey. And, you know, we're, we're now finally, you know, we see the light of day and it's, they're back, they're just back with the next round. It means nothing to these people. They do not respect the rule of law. They are lawless. They are flailing. They don't care. And it's, you know, I mean, that's the reality we're dealing with. So we're going to deal with it and we're going to deal with it firmly. And they're going to wind up paying our legal fees too. So, because it's, this is, you know, a civil rights violation. Yeah. And that's when legal fees come. And it's, it's again, though they pay lots of lip service and feigned deference to Bruin, you know, they, they do that and then, then proceed to completely trounce and trash what Bruin means. I mean, Bruin makes it clear, you know, that sensitive places apply to places, you know, it's a very narrow class of places, you know, where government activity goes on. Mm -hmm. New Jersey has basically used it as a Trojan horse and to blow it wide open to label anything they damn well please as a sensitive place in order to ban carry there. That's not going to fly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it may have to shake out in the lower courts, too. Again, we don't know how lawless the lower courts are going to be. But, you know, we're prepared to take it right back to the U.S. Supreme Court if we have to and, and smack them hard. Okay, so it's, it's going to be a few weeks before this stuff makes its way to the governor's desk. We have a few tricks up our sleeve along the way, which I can't reveal now, but maybe we'll talk after. Um, they've made some giant miscalculations. Uh, with this legislation, and um, I predict right now on on this show that um, the anti-gunners in Jersey are going to be very embarrassed within a couple of weeks. They're going to have great egg on their face when certain aspects of the bill are revealed in a tact tactically timed release and that's all i can say about it right now all right well uh we'll we'll leave it there for now but uh w when when it comes time for that unveiling uh you <laughs> you, you promise me come back on cam and companies we can talk more about it all right absolutely i will listen it's it's the jersey way we you know we you know we're fighting oppressive tyranny i mean it really is unbelievable it's if it if you're not going to laugh at it and you know, poke them in the eye, you know, you're going to cry Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that, that our lawmakers are so flagrantly, they just don't care about the rule of law. All they care about, they think they're the ultimate authority and they're going to have to be smacked down again and again and again until they get it. Yep. Well, and, and oh, thankfully, again, we've got, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, I think, passionate, committed New Jersey gun owners uh, who are supporting uh, groups like the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. And that allows for that smackdown to take place. And oh, I gotta, my goodness. And yeah. I got to tell you, Scott, I mean, you know, you were talking about uh, previous points in American history where we've seen this sort of massive resistance. You know, I, I live not far from Farmville, Virginia. 
uh, which is in Prince Edward County. Prince Edward County actually made up the bulk of the cases that became known as Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, there was a 15-year-old high school student named Barbara Johns who let a walkout of the black high school in Prince Edward County because of the conditions there. And you're right. After Brown versus Board of Education was handed down, state of Virginia uh, and several counties, including Prince Edward County, did launch this massive resistance. They shut down the public schools in Prince Edward County for five years rather than integrate. Uh, but those segregationists, just like the gun control advocates today, were fighting a losing battle. And, you know, you walk around Farmville today and, uh, you know, you see black and white kids who are playing together. You see interracial couples, uh, you know, the 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 world of white supremacy that those folks were fighting for um, died. Uh, and it, it took, again, civil rights activists who were committed to this cause to make that a reality. But I think the same is true when it comes to these unconstitutional gun control measures. They are on the wrong side of the Constitution. They're on the wrong side of history. Uh, and as long as we keep fighting for the human right of self-defense and we the people's right to keep and bear arms, I think we are going to be successful. Amen to that, Cam. <laughs> Scott, listen, I really appreciate you joining us on the program and I look forward to doing this again very, very soon. Absolutely, Cam. Thanks so much. You bet. Scott Bach, Executive Director of the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs, with us here on Cam and Company. All right. We will be talking with Scott very soon, uh, especially after those uh, tricks that they have up their sleeve are indeed unveiled. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Chicago. Convicted felon out on bond for attempted murder arrested in a uh, new crime. Yeah, double homicide. How about that? So uh, the details of this case, uh, 29-year-old Absalom Coakley was previously sentenced to uh, two years in prison after being convicted of felony fleeing and eluding, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. Then he racked up another felony conviction uh, based on a drug case in 2014 he was uh, placed on probation in that case, but uh, even though it was eight years ago, the case, according to the assistant state's attorney, remains, quote, open and pending because of his repeated probation violations. He was also charged with attempted murder in 2016 for allegedly shooting a man during a robbery, a 32-year-old man critically wounded during that attack, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. But despite his criminal history, his current status as a probationer, and his alleged involvement in an attempted murder... Uh, Coakley was released on $15,000 bond in this most recent incident. He was among approximately 50 uh, people who attended a video shoot party at a uh, home in Chicago on September 24th. A fight broke out in the kitchen area of the home, during which Coakley allegedly shot 29-year-old Terrence Johnson in the back of the head. Investigators say that uh, Coakley then headed outside, where he allegedly got into another argument with 30-year-old Terrence Young. Coakley allegedly shot Young in the face killing him before he jumped into a nearby vehicle with two other individuals and then fled from the scene. Uh, investigators have located security footage from a nearby gas station that they say shows Coakley wearing distinct clothing prior to the fatal shooting. Uh, the second attack captured by a security camera. They say that the uh, individual wearing uh, or, or who uh, conducted that uh, shooting was wearing the same, quote, distinctive clothing that uh, Coakley was wearing at the uh, gas station. A witness also identified Coakley in a photo lineup as the uh, gunman who killed Young, um, when he was arrested, by the way, on October the 3rd, he was getting into a, a rideshare vehicle, uh, allegedly had a 40 caliber handgun, uh, a handgun on him at the time of the arrest, which uh, 
it would be illegal for Coakley, given his previous felony convictions, also would be a violation of those rideshare companies' policies, right? That say uh, the drivers and passengers not allowed to possess a firearm, even if you're a concealed carry holder. Not that the criminals seem to care that much, but, uh, you know, just as an aside. Uh, so Coakley now declared a, a clear and present danger to the community by a judge ordered to uh, be held without bail. Uh, but you have to wonder again why the criminal justice system is just now taking a heightened interest in Mr. Coakley, given his previous criminal history. Now, today's Armed Citizen story from uh, Warner Robins, Georgia, where a, a shooting outside of a convenience store is being treated as self-defense. And for good reason, it, it sounds like it was, in fact, self-defense. Um, according to uh, local police reports, um, there was a uh, incident Saturday morning. Actually, I guess Saturday afternoon, uh, just after 2 p.m., uh, Warren Robbins police says they say that a 22-year-old Tamar Lewis uh, was shot, later died at the hospital. But investigators say that Lewis actually had approached another man and started firing at him. And then that man returned fire, striking Lewis, ultimately killing him. Uh, the victim in this case ran away after shooting his attacker, called 911, uh, is apparently cooperating with authorities. And uh, right now, police say that uh, the shooting is being treated as a case of self-defense. Finally, today's arms, uh, excuse me, not armed citizens, so we just did that. Today's good deed of the day in the right place at the right time. We'll unable to do the right thing. A Connecticut man who saved his neighbor's grandchild from a bear attack over the weekend. That's right. Yeah, this was, uh, gosh, where was this? Um, Morris, Connecticut. Jonathan Digmas says uh, he heard screams from his neighbor's home on Sunday saying, help, help, help. And he said, I heard this 10-year-old boy screaming, bear, bear, bear. Uh, so I knew right then, he said, that the bear must have gotten a hold of him. Uh, Digimus says he had seen the black bear on his property just a moment before he attacked the 10-year-old who was visiting his grandparents next door. And uh, Jonathan Digimus says, you know, first thing I found was a sealed pipe, picked it up, threw it at the bear. I struck it in the head. My neighbor and my neighbor's wife brought the little boy, their grandson inside. He was bleeding from his foot, had claw marks all over his back. The boy's grandfather apparently is confined to a wheelchair have been trying to fight off the bear, which is estimated to be all about 250 pounds. Uh, Digimus says the bear tried to drag him through the yard and into the woods. So luckily, my neighbor did strike the bear with a crowbar first. Connecticut State Police and the Department of uh, Energy and Environmental Protection responded to the attack around 11 a.m. on Sunday. The 10-year-old boy taken to a local hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The uh, black bear was euthanized. Uh, this clearly could have been much, much worse. Uh, were it not for the uh, quick thinking and the fast actions, not only of the boy's grandfather, but of uh, Jonathan Digamus as well. So, again, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. We thank Jonathan Digamus for his very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, but I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition covering the latest segment of news and information from across the nation. But make sure you check out BearingArms.com in the meantime, because we're constantly updating the website with news you need to know about your right to keep and bear arms. And if you like what you see, I would always encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. We really do appreciate your support. It means an awful lot to us. Uh, so we're going to say thanks to our VIP members by giving you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't find anywhere else. So thank you again. We really do appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.